You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I want to, uh, I want to do something here, and I, and I brought something with me. And like I said, this, this is uh, entire, usually we have strong worship. Usually we have a, um, you know, just a strong worship service, and then I preach. But last Sunday and this Sunday, we've been talking about preparing the heart for Easter. And what does that mean? And next Sunday, we'll be back. Our worship team, our praise team will be back uh, up here. We'll begin to, we'll be worshiping. We'll be probably celebrating the Lord's Supper. And, and hopefully, it'll be a really moving service. Sometimes I think that you and I need to, um, we need to understand what church is, is really about. And what I've done today, I've, I've brought a few things up here and... Um, that I, that I want to just kind of use it as a, as a teaching tool. One of the things is this is a journal yeah, with a receipt. Uh, this, this is a journal, and it's a real simple journal. And if you, it's got a little elastic thing there. If you open it up, you can see that it's line pages, and you can, you can write, you can, you can work. And uh, one of the great things about this is there is nothing... It's interesting, uh, uh, Shelby Niece is here today. Shelby, we're really excited to have you in, in, in my mind went blank. Mary, I almost called you Betty. I knew it was Mary or Betty. Betty's a good friend and Mary's my mom's name. So I knew it was one of the two and I guess wrong. But anyway, just precious people and uh, in ministry. So they'll, uh, Shelby will understand what I'm talking about. Nothing encourages a preacher or a teacher of the word more than to see people enter the sanctuary like this. In other words, they have some kind of note-taking that they're systematically keeping up with what they're learning through the Scripture. And then here is a, um, here is a Bible. Now, this is the large print, a large print Bible. And uh, here's a pack of pens um, that they say will write twice as long in fi- fine point. And then here is a pack of highlighters. Okay, and you may say, well, that's kind of silly. But when you and I come into the, to the house of God, there's nothing more encouraging than for us to be equipped and ready to, uh, to take notes, to reflect on some of the things that are being said, even in worship as well as looking at the Word of God. And, and let me tell you the power of this. It's like a prayer journal. When you and I are reflecting on some of the things that God may be teaching us through His Word, when we go back later and we look back through this journal, it, it can be fascinating to see what God's doing. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this stuff to Reggie. And I've, and I've done one more thing, and I don't see it up here. Where is it? Um, I, I alluded to this book by John Eldridge, but where did I put it? Huh? Wow. I, man, I've been sick for three weeks. I had this stomach bug, and because of my problems from, from Africa, uh, I, I, I have great difficulty. And uh, last week, Dwayne gave me a B12 shot, so pray for your pastor, and that just goes to prove I need prayer. This is John Eldridge's book, The Utter Relief of Holiness. Uh, it is a great book, and... 
I guess what I'm saying is this. You and I need to be, begin to read again. We need to, we need to study we need to begin to learn. We need to come to church prepared. We need a Bible. We need a journal. And, uh, and we need these things. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to... I was going to let Reggie do it. I think what I'll do is I'll let Reggie give this out. So, Reggie, you find somebody to give this to. And if you would, would you take... Let's take... We're going to give one pen uh, and one, um, one highlighter. And uh, don't give that book to Dwayne because Dwayne already has that book. So you can't give it to Dwayne. But um, take one of those pens. There's a highlighter. I've got a, I've got a Bible here in large print. And I've got a, I've got a journal here. And uh, let me see. I think what I'm going to do, uh, Angie, I'm going to give this to you. Okay? There's you a journal and there's you a Bible and there's you highlighters and a pen. Okay, and and I want to encourage you. I, I want to encourage you to begin to think about how to come to church, and 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 how to become a student of the Word of God. Now today we're doing things again. We're doing them a little differently. Let me clean up this clutter. Um, but uh, we're we're doing things a little different. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Luke chapter three, because last week and and I. Last week we looked at this subject of the pursuit of holiness and we basically said these couple of weeks here that we were going to kind of set aside worship in, in, our, in, in a traditional service that we usually have and we were going to do things a little differently. And so last week we looked at this subject of the pursuit of holiness, of what it means to be, to be holy. And... We said this, we said there's a danger sometimes in the life of a believer. And the danger is, is that we want to live on the line. You know, well, when does, look, when does a look become lust? Or when does conversation become gossip? A prayer request become... You know, a lot of times we'll ask, uh, you know, we'll ask those questions. And what we're saying is, where is the line? How close can I get to sin without getting called up in sin? Is that not true? There's, there's a tendency sometimes for us to think that and we want to know where the line is. And we basically said this, if you and I are not careful, and the problem in the church today, if we're not careful, is that we begin to compromise and we coexist with the level of sin in our lives. Now, let's look at, at, at Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse 10, okay? Now... Um, of course, we'll, we'll, let's pick up at verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius... In fact, let's stand in honor of God's word. In Luke chapter 3, verse 1, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Eturia, and, and uh, Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert, and he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of what? Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, 
Now, boy, this doesn't win friends and influence people. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, watch this. Underline this, verse 8, if you've got a pen today, and if not, just remember, dog ear the page or whatever. Produce fruit in keeping with what? In the NIV, it says with repentance. And, and that word repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It means a cha- Now look this way. It means a change of mind. G. Campbell Morgan said this, you can't have a change of heart until you have a change of mind. To repent means to abhor sin and your former life. Hebrews 1.9 was said of our Lord Jesus Christ. He loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Therefore God, his God, verse 10, has anointed him with the spirit of, a, uh, the spirit of joy. That is the Holy Spirit. This is what John Eldridge was saying. When you and I begin to have victory in some of these areas that are strongholds, sinful habits that rob us of holiness, when we begin to have victory in those areas, there is the relief of holiness because you're not battling in those areas anymore we're going to talk about how to do that well watch what he says here in verse 8 produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham verse 9 the axe is already at the root of the trees every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire now verse 10 is a critical verse are you there say amen In verse 10, the people look to John and say, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with the one who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't excuse, or don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now everyone look this way. All these people were simply, in, as, they were, as repentance and the pursuit of holiness began to get hold of them, they came to John and they said, listen, tell us what we need to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do we need to do in order to be more holy and more godly? Now let's take a moment and let's pray. And I'm going to ask, because we're going to, we're going to bathe this time in prayer. Shelby, I'm going to ask you, would you come here and pray for us? And would you cut this mic on? And I'm going to ask Shelby to come and pray for us. But we're going to spend a moment and we're going to begin to, we're going to bathe this in prayer as we look at this subject, the pursuit of holiness. I want you to do this. Shelby, come on up here. I want you to take somebody's hand near you, at least as much as you can, with at least three people. And I want you to join hands and I want you to pray and I want you to begin to thank God, what, listen to this, what do you want me to do to bring repentance in my life? Let's pray together. We basically said this, that if you and I are going to pursue holiness, then there are areas of our life that we're going to have to begin to address. We're going to have to reevaluate our attitude towards sin itself. In other words, I'm not trying to see how close I can get to sin without crossing the line. I want to see, listen to this, I want to see how far away from sin I can get. 
I don't want to find myself in the company of sin any longer. And we basically said this, that in all honesty, if we're not careful in the life of every one of us, we can compromise or we can kind of coexist with sin. We can forfeit this thing of holiness. And if we're not careful, we can desensitize our heart. Now listen to this. We can desensitize our heart to, whole, to, to sin we can desensitize our heart to sin. In other words, we can, we can stay in the company of sin so long that before long, it doesn't... It doesn't have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that um, maybe you watch things, even in movies, that years ago you would have never watched? Have you noticed how we can get used to the dark, a certain level of darkness in our life? We can become desensitized to sin. We just don't feel it. Sheila, I, last week we were going home and I said... Um, I said, uh, tell me something you got out of, the, out of the message. She immediately opened up her journal, opened up her notebook, and she pointed and she said, you made this statement. To God, sin is always serious. You know, a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I've got this habit, I've got this area of my life that uh, I keep losing out on. It's a sin which does so easily beset me. It's an area that I, I just don't seem to have victory over. But hey, listen, but it's no big deal. And I said this, sin is always a big deal to God. Okay? And, and Sheila immediately went to that in her notes. And we went on to look at this word in the Greek, um, katapateo, the, the, the idea of trampling, where the writer of Hebrews says to you and I, he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, he said, listen, now listen, if we keep on deliberately sinning, he says what we do is we are trampling, katapateo, Pateo means to trample. Kada is the preposition under. We are trampling under our feet the love and the sacrifice of Christ. The love of God, the sacrifice of Christ. Because now we're deliberately sinning. We're, we're actually bringing into our life a measure of unholiness and we're just simply kind of, we have the attitude, well, it's not a big deal. In other words, the love of God now can become the cover for our sin. We saw this last week. You remember we looked at this where Paul talked about in Ephesians 4.30. Paul says that when you and I begin to think that way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul, he uses the word there, lupeo in the Greek. The idea, listen to this, to make sorrowful, to grieve, to cut. Listen to this. He uses the word in the Greek, we said this last week, of labor pains. Paul uses the word lupeo to say that when you and I are continuing to live with a certain measure of sin in our life, unholiness, that we lupeo the, the heart of God, which means we cause God the labor pains that Paul, the same word that is used of a woman in birth. Let me give you an example. Went to see Josh and Christina Reagan. They got a beautiful little boy, beautiful little boy. And, and I was talking to Josh, new dad, Jeff, he's nervous, he's scared, you know, he's worried about taking this baby home, and Christina's sitting there oohing and on over the baby. And he then turned and looked at Sheila and I, because Christina was in a long labor and finally had an epidural. He said, man, that was hard. He said, it was hard watching her in so much pain. He said, boy, it was gut-wrenching for me. Let me ask you something. What if you and I realized that when you and I forfeit holiness, when we get caught up in sinful behavior, that it grieves the heart of God to the point that it causes him to feel like he's in labor? Wow. 
Now, we know that Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit here. I met a parent in St. Dominic's who literally was grieving so much over the sinful life of their child that they were incapacitated in St. Dominic's and they were sick. And I finally looked at him and said, you've got to let go of this child and let God do whatever God's going to have to do. You can't grieve yourself to where you are right now. And I was looking at her laying there in the bed. But how many times do we understand or maybe we, we forget that when you and I get caught up into sin, it is grieving the heart of God. And let me ask you this, do we even care anymore? Do we care? Paul goes on to say that it's not only a matter of grieving. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. So everyone look this way. When you and I begin to develop sinful patterns, sinful habits, sinful strongholds in our life, when we begin to forfeit holiness or a level of holiness, what happens, we not only grieve God's Holy Spirit, we begin to quench it. And the picture here is in the Greek, the Greek is like a language, is that it's like putting a wet blanket on a blazing fire. In other words, the Holy Spirit, John said, John the Baptist, you remember? He said, I baptize you with the water, but there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy to unlatch the sandals and he'll baptize you with what? fire, which is reflective of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that when you and I allow a measure of sin to come into our life, to come into our life, we're not only, we're not only grieving the Holy Spirit, we're quenching it, we're smothering out the fire. And when you put a blanket on fire, what do we say? What do you get? Smoke. And nobody likes smoke. So there must be, and I wrote this down, there must be a battle to rid ourselves of strongholds, sinful habits, and repeated areas, listen to this, repeated areas of disobedience, such as the sin which does so easily beset us that the writer of Hebrews talks about. Those areas that you and I cannot seem to bring under the lordship of Christ. They're areas that rob us of joy and silence our testimony. Let me take, take your Bible from Luke and go over to 1 John, all the way back there toward the back. Real quickly, we're going to look at these real quickly and then we're going to move on. 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Okay, now again, let me read that quote while you're turning. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. There must be the battle to rid ourselves of strongholds, sinful habits, repeated areas of disobedience, the sin which does so easily beset us, those areas in your life and in my life that we cannot seem to get victory over. They're areas that we seem to constantly find ourselves being robbed of the joy of the Holy Spirit because we don't seem to get victory. You know what I'm talking about. There may be an area in your life right now that you cannot seem to get victory over that is affecting you in your relationship and your intimacy, kononia, intimate communication, fellowship with the Holy Spirit because of unholiness at some point in your life. 
Now, in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children. Isn't that great? The children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Now watch verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. He uses, there's a word here, I think in the Greek it's hagnos. What what John is saying here, see sometimes when we think about, let's take the word holy. The word holy, hagios in the Greek, means to be set apart. What the, when, when Passover came, you know what they would do? The, the head of that home, he would go out into his flock and he would look for a lamb without blemish. When he identified that lamb, he'd go over and cradle that lamb up. He'd pick that lamb up. Now watch this. He would set that lamb apart for the sacrifice. It was now set apart. Because it was set apart, it was holy. God has called you and I to be holy or to be set apart from the rest of the world. We're different. We've been set apart for the use of God. But when you and I allow sin or unholiness to take up residence in our life, then what happens? It begins to affect us. John, the beloved, says this. He says, purify yourself. Even though you and I are holy, hagias, set apart, the, sanct- the word sanctification, hagiasmas, the process by which God is conforming us into the image of his son and making us more holy, Paul says we have a responsibility in this process of sanctification. We've got to purify what? Ourselves. Now, let me, let me give you another one. Take a left and go to James. Just a few pages over James 4, 7 through 10. In James 4, 7 through 10, listen to this. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now watch this. Wash your hands, you sinners, and look at verse 8, latter part of it, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There again, James is saying, this New Testament proverbial book, he says, listen, purify yourselves. Now one more, take a left and go to Titus. Go over just a little bit farther, past Hebrews, and, and, and come to Titus there. Because I want you to see this, Titus chapter 2 it's right before Hebrews, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Picking up at verse 11. Now watch this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All men. It teaches us to say no. Now, are you there yet? Say amen. Verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live... What? Live righteousness, and if you, the NIV it says, lived self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Um, well, let's read on a little bit further. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from how much wickedness? All wickedness 
and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Take then, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. I quoted Spurgeon last week. But listen to what Spurgeon says about holiness. He says, holiness should be the mark of the church of God. We should be a peculiar people. We should not be noted for wealth or talent or loud professions, but for holiness. Listen to this. The glory and the strength of God's people. I think that's interesting. Leanne, I think that's interesting in light of what Jim Cimbala said when he said prayer was the engine that drives the church in his study on prayer. Because what... Spurgeon says is that the glory and the strength of God's people is their holiness. So you have both of them side by side. He goes on to say, she, the church, must have a name for virtue, but her heart must be right before God. She must have clean, she must be clean on the inside. Listen to this. Our lives must be such that observers may peep within the doors and see nothing for which to blame us. Our moral cleanliness must not be like that of a household wife, a housewife who sweeps the dirt under the mats. Holiness is conformity to the will and the character of God. If we are God's servants, we must follow God's commands, being ready to do as our master bids us because he is Lord. One more sentence. We must make the Lord Jesus our example. Our meat and drink is to do the will of him who sent us. And again in Luke chapter 3 verse 10, the people came and said to John, what do we need to do? Now I wrote this down. Can you and I identify some areas in our life that right now, number one, could be problematic in our spiritual walk with Christ. Number two, that could affect our testimony, our joy, and our walk. Number three, could be repentant of and could revolutionize us spiritually. And number four, our witness and devotional life would be affected in our homes, our marriages, our workplace, our communities, our country, and our world. When you look at Luke chapter 3, John explodes on the scene. It's been over 400 years of silence. In Filled with the Holy Spirit, John comes. That's the reason the Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, everyone was running out to the Jordan River and they were just enamored by this man that exploded after 400 years of silence when you close the book of Malachi. And John comes on the scene and John says to the people, repent. Now what John was doing according to Isaiah was that John was preparing the hearts of people my, my cousin was in, the, was, was in the Secret Service, retired from the Secret Service, one of the top four men in the Secret Service. I used to sit fascinated by his stories. And I would ask him, I would say, listen, tell me what, what do you do when the president is traveling? He said, listen, we go ahead wherever the president's going, no matter how dangerous it is. We go ahead, we look at every building, we, we, make every, we take every precaution we get based on the fact of what happened to John F. Kennedy, it redefined the Secret Service. He said, we make every effort to ensure that his reception will be favorable, will be good, and no danger. When John the Baptist came on the scene, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He, in essence, spiritually was getting the hearts of the people ready for who? For Jesus. 
And he does this by calling them to repentance. And he gives them clear direction. In, John, in Luke 3.10, he says, listen, when, they, when the people ask what must we do, John gives clear direction as to exactly what they must do. And I'm trying to move quickly because I don't want to go as long as I did last week and I know you probably don't want me to. Uh, I want you to look at Second. One more thing. Look at Second Timothy. You're in Titus. Let's see. You need to go go left. Go to Second Timothy, and I want you to see again Second Timothy two, picking up at verse nineteen. In Second Timothy two, verse nineteen. Nevertheless, I think that's right. It said, "Yeah, Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription: The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must do what? Look, look at that. Must do what? They must turn away, and that word there is repent. They must turn away from what? From wickedness. Man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move quickly, but I, let me give you an illustration. Maybe, maybe this will help. I think that what happens in our life, if we're not careful, that because we're under grace, and because we know we're under the love of God, I think what can happen is, is that if we are not careful, we begin to take advantage of that. We just, we, it's like we have a loving parent who will forgive and bail us out, keep bailing us out, keep getting us out of this jam and that jam because they love us. Our thought is, well, God's the same way about me. The Bible says I'm a children of, of God. I'm the, I'm the recipient of His grace and His love and His mercy. And because of that, if I sin and when I do sin, I know He'll forgive me. He's going to love me. And hey, I've got my ticket to heaven. So everything's all right. Now let me tell you, the problem is with that is that what can happen is we begin to... Well, let me give you what Paul said in Galatians 5.13. Paul said, because Paul had this problem... He said to the believers at Galatia, he said, you, my brothers, were called to be free. You see, grace sets us free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. What Paul said and what Paul understood was that you and I can abuse the freedom of God's grace and his love. If we're not careful, we can excuse our life or our lifestyle of sin because we just simply say, well, you know, God loves me. He's going to... He doesn't... Hey, I almost said it, and it's blasphemous. He doesn't care. A teenager will say that sometimes. They'll be so, they'll, they'll think to themselves, my parent doesn't care how I behave. So, what do we do? What I want to do is I want to, real quickly, I want to give you a formula that may help you if you're battling in an area that you feel like right now is robbing you of holiness. Are you ready? Okay. I'm going to give you two words. Number one, action taken. In other words, whatever area right now the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind that is robbing you of the intimacy that you want to have with the Lord and, 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 and the relationship that you want to have with Christ, whatever that, area, whatever that area is, I want you to start identifying that in your mind. Because number one, you're going to have to take an action. You're going to action taken, which means I'm going to have to take some actions to change this behavior, this lifestyle in my life. Number two, the second term is accountability tested. 
The attempt to change any sinful behavior in your life or my life without, a, without accountability, look this way, is impossible. You can't do it. Now there's a third term, and it's a simple thing, privilege lost. So let's, let's, let's identify. Now what I'm going to do, I'm not trying to embarrass you, and for children, if you decide to get them up and take them out, that's fine, but this is probably no more than they see on primetime TV. First of all, what I believe may be one of the biggest problems in most men's lives and a lot of women now is sexual temptation and pornography. Would you agree? If we were honest, what is robbing a lot of men and women of their ability to have intimacy and have a relationship with Christ that they desire, it robs them of worship, it makes them feel like a hypocrite if they're trying to witness, it, 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 it steals the joy of our salvation, it doesn't steal salvation, it steals the joy of it, it, dis, it steals the kononia, the fellowship, the intimate communication that God desires with us, because the Bible says that what, listen, when you and I draw near to God, we can't draw near to God with sin in our lives, accepted areas of sin. So one of these areas is sexual temptation and pornography. Real quickly, from uh, go to 1 Corinthians 6, because watch what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 6, in fact, I'm going to read it real quickly. I'm not even going to wait on you because we've got to move quickly. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says this. Now listen to this. Flee from sexual immorality. Let me tell you what most of us do. Everybody look this way. You know, you know what we do? Here we are battling with sexual temptation pornography because it's so readily available. What we do is say, oh God, just make me more holy. Just make me more holy. Hang on, God, while I turn the channels. You know, but our, our attitude is, is we just think this is something that the Holy Spirit is going to do without us participating in it at all. The Bible tells us we're to purify ourselves. The Bible says come out from among them and be separate. Sometimes we just want to sit in limbo and say, well, you know, God, take this, take this. A man says, God, just take this away from me. My friend, a man praying that God will take sex and the appetite for sex out of his life is a man sitting there saying, God, I don't want to be hungry no more. God, just take hunger away from me. That's silly. It's, it's not the sexual appetite. It's not hunger it's that it goes outside the boundaries of God's law. And when it does, it becomes an unholy thing. Why would I pick sexual temptation and pornography first? It's the number one problem in most men's lives and a lot of women. Number two, it's readily available. Cable, movie, computer, mobile computers, laptops, web access anywhere, even iPhones. Number three, the relaxed moral restraints of our society. Our society doesn't seem to frown any longer on sexual promiscuity. It's as if it, society, and even in the church, you know what we think in the church? We kind of think that God just says, oh, well, boys will be boys. The relaxed moral restraints in our society, the lack of spiritual direction and strong preaching in the area of holy living. Chip Henderson preached a, a series on sex. And, and I would challenge you to go online and listen to it. I'm sure it's in the sermon archives. It's a subject that needs to be addressed because we're living in a day when there's a climate of sexual gratification regardless of the cost. In other words, we've just kind of, in our society and even in the church, we've just said, well, you know, this is just the way it is and you just got to accept it. We sit and watch commercials now that 10 years ago would have embarrassed us. Wow. Some of the drugs, some of the commercials today in the area of sex are almost 
beyond, they're just unbelievable. Ladies, let me say this. How you dress can affect greatly how a man's able to walk with the Lord. I was in a restaurant the other day and I was talking to an older gentleman from another church. His wife was sitting there and I know the plunging necklines, that may be the style. But I was standing up, him and his wife were sitting down. It was very uncomfortable to me. And finally, let me tell you what I did, ladies. I know I never looked at her again. I let her know, even though she was a strong professing Christian, your dress is absolutely inappropriate. I don't agree with it. And I never looked at her again. I addressed her husband from that moment on, and I never looked her away one more time. She may have thought I was being disrespectful. I was guarding my heart. Because I can tell you what a man will do. He'll take a picture. And every man knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ladies, sometimes you can help us by being sensitive to that. So let's, let's say this. Let's say that in the area of sexual temptation, men, let's say in the area of pornography, let's say that you're trying to figure out, number one, action taken. Let me define action taken. Devi- define very clearly what you must do to bring this destructive, unholy behavior under the lordship of Christ. Number one, if you say, well, what's an action I could take? Filter on my computer. You can go to AFR, American Family Radio. You can go, there are all kinds of filters that are available, not only for your computer, for your phone. Men, you can put, you can enter into relationships with other men who if you go on a site that is pornography, if you go on a site that may compromise you spiritually, other men are getting your information. They'll call you and say, hey, I'm just sitting here looking. What are you doing on that site? Get off of it now before I come over there with a baseball bat. Now, I wrote this quote down. The purpose here is to, listen to this, is to deny the enemy access into your life, into your home, into your family. Husbands and dads, this is where you need to listen. You're going to begin to aggressively say, listen, I battle in this area of sexual temptation. I battle in this area of pornography. It's an area that I feel like I keep losing. I can't seem to have victory. It's not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Number one, I'm going to to deny, I'm going to deny the enemy access into my life. I'm going to put a filter, I'm going to, hey, listen, number two, I'm going to change the cable packages. If you're sitting there with Showtime, H. Hell's box office, HBO, and you're sitting there with some of the movie channels, or you're sitting with some of the music video channels that are available, you may have, listen, you can't be holy and have that stuff coming into your house. You're going to have to call the cable company. You say, well, I love football. Nobody in this room loves football more than I do. Not a one of you. But the reality is, is that I have very basic cable because your pastor is saying, I can't stand up here and do what I'm doing. I'm not a good hypocrite, and you're not either. So if, if you and I, men especially, if you're losing in the battle of pornography, in the battle of sexual temptation, number one, you're going to have to limit, you're going to have to stop the enemy's access into your mind, into your home, into your life. Number two, you may have to look at some of the cable packages. You may just simply have to say, listen, I am not going to have this stuff coming into my home. Number three, there may be strict guidelines as to your company that you're keeping, men and women alike. There is more adultery, more affairs, more problems today, more broken homes than ever before. 
There, need to be, there needs to be the strictest guideline when you and I are in the company of people of the opposite sex. There needs to be public, it needs to be public, it needs to be limited, and listen, it needs to be general conversation. Men, if you're in a workplace where you're being tempted, that conversation needs to be general, it never needs to be about ladies too, it doesn't need to be about anything that's intimate and personal. Let me tell you something, you never tell your marriage problems to somebody of the opposite sex. You are setting yourself up for a problem. Number in, in social media. Social media has become a seedbed of potential problems in a lot of marriages today. More and more people are developing emotional attachment in relationships through social media. They're spending all their time on social media and they're building these relationships at the expense of the one they need to be pouring their heart into. Some of us need to get off Facebook and Twitter. Number four, sit down and examine your life and ask this question. Men, women... In the area of sexual temptation, pornography, what needs to go? What do I need to remove out of my life to ensure that I can bring this behavior under the lordship of Jesus Christ? If I have to cut the cable off, cut it off. If I have to go through my videos, listen, missionaries in Nairobi, Kenya... In Henry, in Henry, during, during Henry Blackaby's conference there in 1993, saw a mighty movement of God. And I can tell you what happened. While Henry Blackaby was talking like I'm talking now, people started standing up. Missionaries were standing up saying, I've got these videos in my home. They were sent to me. They're inappropriate. They're ungodly, immoral. And I'm ashamed and I confess it publicly. I can tell you this much, and you've heard me say this. Henry Blackaby's son who came to the Mississippi Baptist Convention and spoke of it, when I told him I was there with, with his dad in Kenya, he stopped the conversation that he was in with the high muckety-mucks of the denomination. He said, hang on a minute. He came over, tears got welled up in his eyes, and he said, tell me what happened to my dad. Tell me what happened to my dad in Kenya. He's still trying to process it, and this had been about 10 years, 15, 10 or 15 years later. You and I, men especially, if you're battling with sexual temptation, if you're battling with a promiscuity, especially in your head, in your mind, if you're battling with pornography, men, you've got to deny the enemy access into your life. You've got to do whatever you need to do. Change cable channels, do whatever. You've got to bring a high standard to your personal life in, in dealing with people of the opposite sex. Um, uh, this is the motto that I wrote down. I am committed to do whatever it takes to get control of this area of my life. And if I'm not, it's an idol. So there's action taken and there's accountability taken. With account without accountability, let me say it again, I will most likely fail. If you're married, men, your spouse is your primary accountability partner. Look this way. I've got one of these. My password is 1127 if you find it and you want to use it. You laugh, some of you, your own spouses don't even know your password and shame on you and get it right, right now, right this minute. Stop right now, right, give your password to your spouse. You have to text it. There should not be in the life of men and women who call themselves Christians this kind of secretive... Uh, you know, your, 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 your spouse should have your password. You may say, well, that, that's kind of silly. You mean you gave me 
your password to your phone. You're the congregation. I'm your pastor. I don't have nothing to hide. Hey, if I've got something to hide on this, I tell you what, you better get the deacons together real quick and they better check me out. You see, a spouse needs, your, your spouse, men and women, is your primary accountability partner. Beyond that, if pornography is an issue in your life, first of all, confess it to a godly, mature brother or sister, not somebody of the opposite sex. If you're a man here today and you're battling in that area, you need to find you a godly, spiritually mature person and you need to confess that to them. Number two, you need to allow them access into your life. You need to give those people permission. Look, let me tell you something. My laptop, John, Eric, I think they get my emails. They get, they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take my laptop and go in it. Brandon Slay, manager of the Apple store here, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, my laptop, my phone, everything I'm accountable for. I have people in place to ensure that I do not incorporate into my life any kind of sexual sin or stronghold. My wife is my primary accountability partner. And she will tell you, I'm like any other man, I battle in this area, and and I confess to her constantly, even a thought, I want to be pure and holy. Let me ask you something. Do you? Number three, at any point I am discovered to be unfaithful in this area, I will agree to a clear process of discipline and I will forfeit my rights. If I, listen to this, look this way, if I abuse this and somebody who I'm accountable to see something on here that is inappropriate, then my conviction is this, I have lost the privilege of having an iPhone, I need to go back to a, to a flip phone or something that I can't even get a picture on it. Well, I just could never do Well, congratulations. Guess what? This is your idol. You love this more than you love Jesus. Because you are, you are, listen, you are grieving God's heart by your misconduct on your iPhone. Whether it be what you're looking at or the conversations you're having with people that your spouse may not know about. You forfeit the right. Number four, fourth, that's lost privileges. This is defined by those who you're accountable to. You submit, hupatasso in the Greek, which means to come under the authority. You bring people in your life that will hold you accountable. Men, what you're doing is this. Listen, if you say, hey, I want my heart right, I want to begin to live for the Lord, honey, the preacher's right. Some of the things we watch, it just, it, you know, I look like, hey, dancing with the stars, hey, guys, come on. I can't watch that. You know what? You know, I tried to one time because Sheila, we wanted to watch um, Sarah Palin's daughter. You know what? I tried to watch that and, and the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear and said, what's the difference between you and Herod watching Herodias's daughter dancing and losing John losing his head? There ain't a dime's worth of difference between you and Herod, son. It so convicted me, I immediately cut the cut the TV off. 
You see, how serious are we about holiness? Number five, is there a process, there should be a process of redemption and restoration. In other words, I may lose the privilege of using this phone because I have abused it. I should, I should lose that privilege and then there's a process by which I'll earn it back. And all God's people, man, y'all are really quiet. Second area, let's get off sexual temptation and pornography because you're uncomfortable with that. So let's talk about your body. Oh, man. Shelby's going, wow, what a Sunday to show up at Southside. <laughs> let's talk about your body. Your body is what? What is your body to the Holy Spirit? God's temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so second area. Outside of sexual temptation and pornography, the second area is your body and the, abu- the abuse of it. Now, you may say, well, why is this important? Because we're horribly in this nation. We're horribly out of shape. We're obese. Diabetes is epidemic. Our health system is in a crisis. And we're just lit- literally, listen, the food industry is, is, is even duping us. Have you ever looked at a Snickers bar? Can I ask you something? How come a Snickers bar has to have that much sugar and salt in it? It has sugar and salt because, listen, when you put sugar and salt together, it gives you a little buzz, right? We like it. And the food industry figured that out. They don't make things sweet. They also make them very salty because they know that the combination of sweet and salt will, in other words, hook us and hold us captive. So you and I today are more out of shape than we've ever been before. Our poor health choices. Uh, let me give you an example. Now, I'm not a, I, I'm a, I love sweets. I went for my wellness physical. My cholesterol was 217. It was a little over 200. It was a little high. So I was kind of reprimanded for that. My triglycerides were 299. Well, Sheila said, I can't believe you eat that much sugar. I mean, I had to change, make some changes. And so, she, you know, Sheila, the strong arm of the law, the accountability partner says, what are you doing up there at the office? I said, well, to be honest, I, got, I, started, I went back to regular Cokes. Listen, look this way. Do you know that a Coke has, ladies, a regular Coke has twice the total sugar grams that you require for a whole day? One Coke? I said, well, I've, I've gone back to, I'm not drinking Coke Zero, I'm drinking regular Coke. Coke. And uh, then she said, well, what else? I mean, you know, she's really, she's got, she's got a, a coal miner's light on her head and she's dropping water on my forehead while she's talking to me. What else are you doing? I said, well, I've got a stash of candy bars. What? I've got a stash of candy bars in my desk. And I love peanut M&Ms. And I just kept going on and on because I'm one of these, and, I, and Sheila will tell you, when Sheila cooks, when Sheila fits, fixes a meal, what's the, what's, what do I say after we finish eating a meal? What is it? Say it real loud. What are we having for dessert? Of course, Sheila, sometimes we'll look and solve the first problem by saying you're looking at it. You'll get that in a minute. You see, what's happened to us over the last 50 years is our food portions have become out of control. Uh, Sugar is out of control. We're more lazy than ever because we sit in TV, watching TV or playing video games, and there's no exercise. The bottom line is is that you and I are sinning against God. We're we're, We're destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. We're leading our children to incorporate the same destructive behavior that we've incorporated into our lives. 
We're not only living unhealthy lives, we're teaching our children how to do it. So let's go back. First word, action, what? Taken. Action, action taken. We're going to define it very clearly what you and I must do to bring this destructive, unholy behavior under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. First of all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read and study the dangers of the present dietary habits that I'm incorporating into my life now. Let me tell you what I did. When I found out my triglycerides were $2.99, you know what I did? I looked up triglycerides. I started Googling and looking up sugar. I started looking up all the problems that can be equated to sugar. Man, before long, I was broke out in a sweat. My hands were trembling. I thought, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to die, you know? I realized how much sugar had to do not only with all my health issues, but it also had to do with my with cancer, with cardiovascular. And all of a sudden I thought, man, I have got to get control of this area. You see, the reality is, is that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but if we were honest, the temple of the Holy Spirit is so out of shape and so abused today. Listen, what is your enemy? John 10, 10, what did your enemy come to do? What's your enemy's job assignment? Kill, steal. He can't steal your salvation, can he? So let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to steal the joy of your salvation. You know why some of us are not happy? It's because we're just absolutely physically so out of shape. That's the truth. The only walk that we do is from the TV to get the remote or to go to the refrigerator. I think this, and I wrote this down, I think we need to recognize that our children are following our example. If you're going to take control of your dietary habits and eating and you're going to realize that, hey, this is the temple of God's Holy Spirit and I need to become better, a better steward of it, of it, then I may, action taken, let me tell you what I may need to do. I may need to go home and I may need to clean out the cupboards, clean out the refrigerator and start all over again. I may have to do inventory. Now, you may have to join Weight Watchers. You may have to change how you go to to fast food. Let me tell you, when you go into Wendy's, uh, give me the triple stack Baconator, uh, supersize that, and honey, could you help me get it to the table? Any fast food, even Wendy's or whatever, and I know you may think, well, you know, this is silly. This is not the normal sermon. You know, hey, listen, your enemy is destroying your lives with sexual temptation and pornography. Your enemy is destroying your lives with your unholy, unhealthy living. And God says, I don't want you to live that way. You're my children. You're my children. So you may have to take responsibility. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he, listen to what Paul said. He said, I beat my body and make it my slave. Now look this way. What Paul was saying is this. I make my fleshly appetites. I bring my fleshly appetites, appetites not just sexual, but even food itself, appetite, I bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When I go to the counter to order, I'm not going to allow my flesh to order. I'm going to allow my Holy Spirit, to, God's Holy Spirit to order. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was tempted, what was the first thing that Satan tempted him with? Food. He just said, listen, if you're the Son of God, change these loaves, uh, these, this, this, these rocks into bread. 
I'm going to, listen, an action taker, I'm going to read labels. If you're serious about getting your body, bringing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and getting your health back, then you may have to go home, clean the cupboards out. You may have to go to a fast food place and say, I'll take the side salad, $1.39. I'll take the small chili, $1.39, because that's healthier than some of the other stuff. I'll take a baked potato, plain baked potato with butter and sour cream. If I get my salad, I'll get the locale uh, ranch dressing or whatever. Give me a Coke Zero. Listen, parent, involve your children in this. You go up to order a Baconator and allow your seven-year-old to go, wait a minute, no, mom will take the side salad with the Coke Zero and the plain baked potato. You've got, listen, if we're going to change the president, we have been unfair to the president of the United States by asking him to fix our health system. He can't fix us. The Holy Spirit can. That's what Paul meant. 1 Corinthians 9.27, I beat my body, make it my slave. In other words, if Paul was in Wendy's, Paul would say, down boy, back off flesh, the Holy Spirit's going to place this order. Quit consulting with food. Read labels. Plan a menu. Start cooking again. Walk. I remember one time I was dating a girl and you know, she was really, a, you know, she was one of these uh, cheerleader, you know, really frilly kind of girls. And we were out on a date and I was parking and she said, could you get closer? I said, well, I guess so. And I parked and moved to another spot. She said, I think there was a spot even closer over there. You know what I did? I carried her home and never dated her again. You see, you and I need to take responsibility, and part of that is an, an accountability taken. May you have to get in Weight Watchers, may involve the spouse, involve the family, involve the children, do whatever. Third area, and then we'll close. What do you think the third area would be? What do you think's robbing us today of intimacy and fellowship with the Lord? What do you think today is robbing us of the joy of our salvation? What do you think is an area that is unholy before God? We have sexual temptation and pornography, which is becoming a big issue in a lot of lives. We have, we have what do we have secondly? Food, our appetites, physical appetite, getting control, bringing that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What do you think the third area is? Huh? Stuff. Well, that could be true. It could be stuff. I'm like Andy Griffith when he looked at Barney. He said, "We ain't got no. We ain't got no stuff. Money. What is that? Credit card. Yeah, stuff. That's right. The reality is the third area." that robs a lot of us of the joy of our salvation and keeps us unable to do God's will and to be obedient is in the area of finances. Your failure and my failure to control our spending and to live debt-free robs us of the joy of our salvation. It keeps us from doing a lot of the things that God would have us to do. Now, this is the last area. I was watching the Merrill race, uh, the Merrill debate. Did you see that, the debate the other day? with all the candidates running for mayor. There's one candidate, and bless her heart, I don't have anything one way or the other about any particular person one over the other. But this woman, it was brought up that she had, had, she had been in bankruptcy twice. Now let me tell you what she said about bankruptcy. She said, well, I don't think this matters, and I think it can make me a better mayor of Jackson. 
First of all, let me tell you something. Bankruptcy does matter. Because when you and I cannot control our debt, and when we bankrupt, and sometimes I've seen people because of medical, because of real legitimate reasons, they went bankrupt. And for those people, my heart goes out to them. But for others who can't control debt and who bankrupt, the reality is, is that somebody pays. If you're struggling in the area of finances, number one, action taken. If you've abused spending then put your fa- and you put your family in debt, Proverbs 22, 7, you're a slave to the lender rather than to Christ. Remember Paul said, I'm a doulos, meaning I'm a slave, I'm a servant of Christ. But Proverbs 22, 7 says that you and I, if we're not careful, if we don't handle our finances correctly, we get into debt, then we become a slave to debt to the lender. In other words, let me, let me say this. Some of you right now, if God told you to go to Africa, you couldn't do it because you'd say, what are your words? What would you say? I can't afford it. And, 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 and sometimes we say, well, you know, we're God gods, he provides. That's true. But if you and I are living in debt then the reality is, and we're, we're in over our heads, and the, the ability to be able to do God's will is greatly hindered. Finances have to be given over to the person who's more responsible. If you're married today, and, you're, and you're, you're married to somebody, or you're about to get married, you better find out who's the better person at handling the finances. If you look and you laugh right now and you say, neither one of us are, then let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get Sarah Seals. You need to get Brian, one of our deacons back there. You need to get somebody who's good in finances to sit down with you, help you work out a budget, and then live by the letter of the law of that budget. Because, see, God wants to set you free of late night wrestling, turning, twisting and turning because you're in debt. Let me tell you, the value of a menu, it not only will help you with your health, it will help you with your finances. This aimlessly wandering in Walmart is, Sheila even pulled up our checkbook. She said, wow, look at the number of checks written to Walmart. Do you know why milk is at the back of the store? I'm going to run into Walmart and get a gallon of milk. Now, I'm talking like a man because he's back over in the sporting goods section. You know, what the, what, listen, Walmart is strategically organized. And if you think about it, this is the enemy. This is the way the enemy works. The enemy will tempt you all the way back to a gallon of milk to buy all kinds of things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. Why? Because the enemy is trying to keep you in debt so that you're outside God's will, you're a slave to the lender, and I know we need to... Our American government needs to learn this, right? Some of us really need to put credit cards on the altar. Oh, tear them up, by the way, before you put them on there. Now, accountability tested. Meet with somebody who can hold you accountable in this area. Let them ask you the hard questions and... Get the kids involved. What do kids say? Well, write a... Mom, just write a check. Just use the credit card. I see y'all over here laughing. Yeah. Look this way, and we're going to close very quickly. Look this way. Every family member deserves an allowance. 
I don't care if it's $2. Every family member. This is James Dobson, everybody in parenting. Kevin Lehman. Kevin Lehman's excellent in parenting. Let me tell you, every one of them will say, give the kids an allowance. Let them have an allowance. Teach them to be responsible and a good steward of what you entrust to them, but give them allowance. Everybody in a budget, everybody gets an allowance. You can spend it every week, or you can save it and buy you something big. You can listen, but there can be some responsibility. Involve the kids. I want you to look at one more thing as we close. And, and I tell you what, uh, I promise, give me five minutes. In John 8, 31, listen to what Jesus said. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, and if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Are you there? John 8, 32. To the Jew, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Verse 32, then you will know the, what? The truth, and the truth will set you, what? Free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He, the word there is doulos. Paul said, I'm a slave doulos of Christ Jesus. What I've been saying to you is this. Listen, I don't care if you like me or not. Now, you commanded to love me. But pastoring is like parenting. I'm not trying to be your hero. I'm just trying to... I, listen, let me tell you what I'm concerned, what I want. I want when you and I get on the other side of the Jordan, when we get, on, when we get into heaven, I want you to walk up and say, Brother Jeff, I just sat down and had a great talk with Jesus. He said, you were a good pastor. He said, you told me the truth. And thank you. You see, in verse 34, what Jesus said, he said, I tell you the truth because the truth sets you free Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Look this way. Sexual temptation, men, sexual temptation, pornography is a sin. You will be, listen, you cannot control it. You'll become a slave to it. You'll never get enough. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, men. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it's, men, look at, listen, it's going to cost you far more than you can ever pay back. It is costly. Ladies, the same is true. Sexual promiscuity, sex outside of marriage, literally will destroy your life. Stop it. Right now. So it's sin. It'll rob you. It'll steal your freedom. It'll steal the joy of your salvation. It'll affect your witness and testimony. It'll do that. You'll become, listen men, you'll become a slave to sex. It'll govern your life. If you can't control your appetite and food, you'll become a slave to food. You'll Listen, you're not consoled. You know what the Bible, paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comforter, consoler, that comes alongside, para, alongside of, cleat, comforter. Do you know what some of us are doing in this room? We are denying the Holy Spirit consoling us and comforting us. We are comforted by a trip to the refrigerator or a, t a trip to somewhere to eat. 
We console ourselves and our anxieties and our worries with food and we rob the Holy Spirit of consoling us. That's a sin. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I beat my body, make it my slave. I don't want to be a slave to my body and my appetites. My body and my appetites are to be a slave to the Holy Spirit. Finances. If you are living, if I am living outside my income, in debt, frivolously accumulating debt, and living that way, we will never be able to be obedient and do all that God would have us to do. You'll be a slave to lender, to the lender, and what will happen is your credit cards, you'll dream about them. They will drive. I had a Shell gas card, credit card. That thing literally was a bondage to me. We were poor, we were charging our gas, we were going in debt, and all of a sudden one day we looked at the interest that we were paying on that credit card and we said, oh my God, what have we done? We cut that card up. We changed our whole dynamic financially of how we lived our lives and it revolutionized our lives from that moment on. The enemy will convince you you've got to have it. Listen, we, I told Sheila we were going to buy a car. I said, Sheila, I don't want to go in debt for a car. I said, let's just pray about a car. So we began to pray. We prayed and prayed and prayed week after week, it month. I was driving, getting, taking her to Byram to work, coming here, going to Byram, going here, picking her up. It was horrible. Finally, it was about a couple of months, maybe longer. It was longer than that. How many months? Several months. I finally looked at her. We looked at each other and said, this is just tough. Two people working out of one vehicle? So I looked at her and I said, I, I listen, this is what I said. Now listen. And we, we live debt-free. We incorporate scriptural principles about finances. We're systematic tithers. I, I looked at Sheila and I said, let's get a little bolder. I said, God, we got to have a car in 24 hours because we're just wore out. We just got to have some help. God, please, we're like Jerry and Claire. We got to have some help. So 24 hours. The next day at lunchtime, I'm eating with my dad. My dad said, uh, you know, your mom's car, you want it? Now, hey, listen now. Before you smile and go, well, isn't that great? God answered your prayer. It was a 1992 Mercury Cougar. It's a 22-year-old car with about 40,000 miles on it kept in the garage. But it's a 22-year-old car. Ledge, shame on Ledge. Ledge laughs at us all the time in this old car. But hey, listen, look this way. It is, as the Africans say, a cheapo chamwadi. It's a gift from God. Let's stand. Let's stand. You see, God wants to set you free. Jesus said it. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no... Now, listen to this. Just listen. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. Let me tell you what God wants to do in your life. You know what God wants to do in your life and my life? He wants to set us free, sexual temptation, pornography, sexual promiscuity. 
He wants to set you free from that. He wants to show you the strength and the value of sex inside a marriage relationship. If you've been unfaithful in your marriage, let me tell you this much. You have lost the privilege to be on social media and to be involved in a lot of things. You need to come under discipline until you sort that out and you need to be accountable to your, to your spouse until you have proven that you can be trusted. God wants to set you free of sex that is outside his law and his boundaries. God wants to set you free of the appetites, food, those things that hold you in bondage. God wants you to go home, clean the cabinets out. God wants you to bring some accountability into your life and to say, listen, we're going to start cooking. We're going to have menus. I'm going to read labels. I want to get control of this. I want to begin to walk. Quit watching TV. Start walking. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, don't you thank God that Billy Graham is still alive? Let me tell you why. Because his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and undoubtedly he's been taking care of it for a long time. You know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy, he doesn't care. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He'd just soon do it with a baconator as to do it with you getting hit by a car. He, he, listen, he wants to shorten your life and the quality of your life. Don't let him. Let the Lord set you free. Finally, finances. Get your finances under control. Quit living in debt. Tear up the credit cards. Read Larry Burkett. Ron Blue, Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover. Incorporate into your life people who know financially how to... I had a woman tell me one time, you see that man? She was pointing to her husband. See that man right there? He knows how to make money. He knows how. It's a spiritual gift. Find those people who have the spiritual gift of good stewardship and listen, come under their leadership. Get their counsel. I need help. I don't want to live this way anymore. God wants to set you free. Now what we're going to do, we're going to take time, we're going to pray. And, and during this time of prayer, I'm going to ask just for some music to be played. We're going to give you an opportunity to come at this altar. You may come as a husband and wife, you may come as a man, who, you may come as a woman. It, we don't know why you're coming. It, I haven't addressed every area. I've just taken three areas. You have to determine what that area is and what actions need to be taken and what accountability needs to be testing that, that action. If you don't have accountability, you'll fail. But we're going to have music playing. We're going to invite you to come to this altar. We're going to spend a few moments in prayer. This is our invitation. Reggie will be here at the front. Ledge will be here. If you need somebody to counsel with you, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, that's the first step of obedience. That's the first step. I'm a sinner and I need salvation. I need Christ. I need, I want his Holy Spirit to come into my life. You come, ask these men to, count, men to counsel with you, to pray with you. Spend a moment at this altar. We've got people that are prayer warriors. I look at Jeff and Leanne, some of these people that, uh, Tamara, different ones, Emily Williams, even though Emily's up there right now with a new baby. Some of these people, Sheila, the pastor, my wife, I tell you what, Shelby and his wife, Mary, great people. There are deacons here in this room who will come. I'm going to ask our deacons to come and kind of gather around this altar. And we're just going to spend some time in prayer and then I'll close us in prayer or have someone close us in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Can we do that? So let's just do that now. You just come. As Christ leads you, if you need somebody to counsel with you, you just come. May never be a moment like that.